What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Report's college football and NFL draft podcast. I'm your host, Matt Miller, joined on a beautiful Wednesday, my man, Connor Rogers. And Connor, we have a fun show for the people today. We certainly do. It's just me and you, buddy. Uh, Post-draft, I don't want to say hangover here, but we're just having a good time. So we got a lot to go through. Obviously, some different personnel moves being made around the NFL, some Des Bryant stuff. So we're going to go around the league with all the latest there. But more importantly here, we are going to do rookie award predictions. So we're going to give you your offensive rookie of the year, potential winners, potential honorable mentions, and some dark horse contenders. And we're going to do the same for defensive rookie of the year. And we have not forgotten about the people. So we're going to do a ton of draft on draft today. I can't wait to do that, Matt. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. And I would say that this summer will be a lot of draft on draft. So this is a good time for you guys to get involved with the show again. You know, we had to cut back a little bit to get all the information we wanted to get in before the draft. But now throughout the summer, we can stretch out a little bit. We can just crack some cans and have fun answering questions. But today's show is going to be a good one. Like you mentioned, let's start with some personnel news. The Oakland Raiders, who are quickly becoming apparently the favorite team of stick to football. Out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, really out of nowhere. Did not see this one coming. But they made a fantastic hire in getting Dwayne Joseph from the Philadelphia Eagles to come over. uh, I, I think that he was the director of pro scouting with the Eagles. He is going to be a phenomenal hire for the Oakland Raiders. I think we look at what Mike Mayock did in his first draft. We all really liked it. Where he needs help, though, now is finding that guy who can run the pro side of things. So the guy who's out there scouting preseason games and and doing advanced scouting on potential free agents. The pro side of the scouting department is not the sexiest. You don't get to go out on the road as much. You're kind of a, a an office guy who's just in a cave watching film all the time. But it is an incredibly important role. So getting someone like Dwayne Joseph, who has an incredible reputation around the league, this is a great hire from Mike Mayock. So he was technically Joe Douglas's right-hand man. Is that correct? That is right. Okay, that's pretty significant because, I mean, you're talking about a team that has won a Super Bowl recently uh, and built a really impressive roster across the board. So it's interesting with Oakland because when you make an out-of-the-box hire like Mike Mayock was, and I understand John Gruden there definitely brings plenty of influence, but it goes to show you that there's a lot of confidence in going to work for these guys across the league, and I think that's what Oakland needed. I mean, we saw the improvement in the steps from John Gruden's first draft since returning to this year with having a little more help in Mike Mayock, and maybe a hire like this is a sign that they're only going to get better from here on out. Yeah, I I, actually, I really do think that they could. This is a, an exciting front office. They also, uh, earlier in the week, they hired uh, Jim Abrams to be the director of college scouting, also from Philadelphia. So I, I like that Mayock is like, if I were in his position, I would do the same thing. I would look at teams like the Chiefs, Eagles, Colts, and I would actually avoid teams like the Patriots because I think so much of that is just Bill Belichick and Ernie Adams that like Nick Casario, Josh McDaniels, like those guys don't have the greatest reputation as scouts, as, as evaluators. So I would go after someone, you know, go to a team that has won or to like Seattle and raid their scouting department. I think that's a really smart move. And, and for Mike Mayock to maybe recognize where his weaknesses are and try to fill in the gaps with really good evaluators. So I, I just wanted to start the show today doing something that we haven't done a lot of, uh, hadn't done a lot of, I should say, until the draft, but giving Mike Mayock a lot of credit for the way that he is building this team and also building the scouting staff, the scouting department. And Connor, something that you and I are going to do this summer, uh, we're going to let Mello continue to live in the world of college football a lot. 
you and I are going to rank the front offices. So it's going to be a lot of homework for us. It really is. I don't is. quite have a release date on when we will do this. <laughs> Probably in August would be my guess. Uh, but we are going to rank the front offices. And I, I think Oakland will be a lot higher than we expected. Yeah, we're, um, we're going to have to make go, a lot of phone calls and texts for that one. It's a it's a tough one. But it's unique. Yeah. No, I haven't seen anybody else really doing something like that. So it's an exciting project we're ready to present to the listeners. Yeah, and, and hopefully I didn't just give away our content and someone's going to come steal it real quick. So uh, we're just going to call dibs on that. And just, it's a gentleman's agreement. No one takes their idea. So uh, let's move on here, though. Des Bryant popped his Achilles last year right after he'd signed with the New Orleans Saints. He's back running routes again. I think I, I think I would like to see Des Bryant in the NFL for one more season. Me too. I mean, Des Bryant is not old. <laughs> I want to be clear right. on that. He did. I don't want to thirty. Say, yeah, he's 30. Obviously, the injury is devastating. I would also say somebody, uh, you know, with the uh, the athletic, you know, freak that Des Bryant is, I wouldn't be shocked to see him come back and and have a pretty, you know, successful return. But when it comes down to it, it, it is bizarre. Like this is one of those careers that just felt almost too quick. So I do hope he's back. But I'm wondering, you know, who is the team? Like what team makes sense for Des Bryant? Because we just saw a ton of receivers come off the board in this draft, Matt, that are expected to make an instant impact. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the team that he was working out with when he got hurt, the New Orleans Saints, because they really didn't address the receiver position at all in this draft. Uh, they, they brought in Emmanuel Butler as a, an undrafted free agent, but they needed help at receiver. Um, it's it's Michael Thomas, who's amazing, Traquan Smith, who was a third-round pick last year, and then Austin Carr, who was a free agent. So they need help at wide receiver. I could see Des Bryant fitting in there. I don't know that he has the right personality for New England, but there's definitely a need there, even with Nikhil Harry coming in. Um, we've seen them like take a flyer on Demarius Thomas, who's an older guy. They took a chance on Josh Gordon, who we have no idea when he's going to be back on the field again. So it, I believe I have the numbers right here. There are six new receivers in New England. So this is going to be a completely different wide receiver depth chart. Throwing Des Bryant in, at least bring him in for a workout, see where he's at, not only in terms of the injury, but We've we've heard before you could like listen to Chad Johnson talk about when he went to New England. You really have to know how to run the route tree to be able to play there. So I think you also have to see where he's at in terms of, you know, the mental side of the game. I'm with you all the way that New Orleans just makes the most sense. I mean, you look across the board here and this was a classic draft where 29 receivers were drafted, right? And the year before that, 33, the year before that, 32. So 30 is kind of the the number you look at now. And then you look at how many are instant impact guys. Well, 13 were taken in rounds one, two, or three combined. That means those 13 taken in those rounds, they're expected to probably be on the field at some point this year. So it's not going to be easy to just walk into a job where targets galore are coming your way. But if maybe somebody goes down, whether it's unfortunately in OTAs or early on in training camp, I think there will be a home for Dez somewhere. I agree, man. And I want to move on to one of our favorite players in the NFL who has had a rivalry <laughs> with this podcast. I think to some degree you could call it I a rivalry. I don't know why. I like. I, I still don't understand it. I, we weren't low on him. Like no. I think he was quarterback three for you, quarterback two for me. I at one point called him the safest player in the draft. <laughs> and the, like... But hey, it is what it is. Yeah, chip on the shoulder wherever you got to find it. So Baker Mayfield and Colin Cowherd have had a feud basically going back to before the 2018 draft. 
And it it got even worse this week because Cowherd went on his radio program and said that, you know, like John Dorsey was fired from Kansas City. Baker's like not any good. And he's like, of course, they're two peas in a pod. And Baker responds and calls him a donkey, which <laughs> like I kind of love that. Like it's something my five year old would say, you know, like, yeah, we are a donkey. And it's like, oh, like, are you calling me an ass or I don't really know what it's this hilarious. means, but it is a good insult. I think it right now is the best sports media rivalry that we have. It is. And I'll say this, like Baker Mayfield, the good thing about his bravado is the Cleveland fans are really excited to have Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. And and they deserve it. They really do. After all the bullshit that they went through for literally decades, it's fun for them to have a player, a, a leader they can gravitate to towards like that. For Colin Coward, man, is this good business. This is good business. Every time Baker Mayfield responds to Colin Coward, it only helps Colin Coward. That's the thing that people are missing here. Like he, Colin Coward is loving this. He's getting exactly what he wants. And that's a reaction from one of the most exciting young players in the league right now. Yeah. It's interesting to me. And I don't want to like compare these. It's going to happen. I think that we're actually to a point where even though like Trubisky and Watson and Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, those guys were all in the same class as Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes. I almost feel like they have risen to the top. Maybe even like Pat definitely has based on play. I mean, Baker was fantastic last year, but because of the the name recognition and because of the way they play, it feels like they're the two like hottest young quarterbacks in the NFL. Again, I'm not saying they will be the best necessarily, but they are the hottest names. And it's so interesting to see how different they are, which I, I think like that makes it a fun part of this is like seeing that like Pat is such like a quiet, you know, leader that's probably a little more fiery in the locker room. Exactly. Baker's like out here motherfucking people on Twitter, which I I have a little bit of that in me. So I understand it. I'm OK with it. No, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you have Odell Beckham out here and Grady Williams saying, you know, they're trying to win Super Bowls right now. Or, or well, Odell said they want to be the Patriots, which to me says you want to win Super Bowls. But when it comes yeah. down to it. This is a team, Matt, that needs to win this year. And I'm not saying win seven or eight games. They got to win 10 or 11 games yeah. this year. They, I'm excited to watch them. I think they're one of the most exciting young teams in football. On And Freddie Kitchens basically said it as well. On paper, or John Dorsey, you know, they feel they're very talented, but they got to go win some games. So it's going to be exciting. They, uh, I mean, they're going to be here Monday Night Football, uh, week two against my Jets. And I think... They're going to be a blast to watch. The, the Browns, to me, are must-watch TV every single week. Oh, I year. agree. I think the Browns and Cardinals are the two like teams that weren't playoff teams last year that I am. I, I will find a way to watch those games every week as long as we are home. So, um, Or on the road, I'll be streaming it somehow. Um, moving forward here, dude, it is Teacher Appreciation Week. I actually tweeted this out. One thing that... Um, you guys know Mello's a teacher. Something we all try to do is help out with the teachers, especially in this area with the the charity that I run. Um, Mello and Connor have been great about helping promote that. But I just wanted to like take a second because it is Teacher Appreciation Week, and Mello's not on the show today to like just shout out some of the teachers that have been um, a huge part of our lives. You know, my mom supervises preschools. Our buddy Jared Brown, who writes for the Draft 400 series, is also a teacher. So like, there are some teachers that are very influential in our lives, but. I know that we both also have like a funny story about yes. teachers basically telling us to not do what we do now. Oh, it's amazing. And I, I do want to give teachers a shout out Two of my best friends I grew up with are teaching, you know, one in the Bronx right now, the other upstate. And it's pretty awesome to see what they do. I mean, it's really a selfless job, right? Like it, it's yeah. insane because they don't 
obviously they're not, it's not the most lucrative business, but I feel like they do it for what they get out of, you know, obviously giving back in the classroom, but also giving back all those extra hours after school and coaching, something I know Mello knows a lot about. We were laughing before the show. You were like, is there anyone you want to specifically shout out? And of course I want, you know, my friends, Jared, who's one of our good friends of the show, Mello, but also the teachers that so desperately in college basically just said, Hey, go be an accountant and you'll make this amount of money. And you'll be, you know, somewhat comfortable and you'll do your 10 to 12 hour days in a cube. And that's that. And uh, that is not exactly what I ended up doing. So it was a risk. But that's the good thing about teachers. They influence you in ways that you didn't even think was possible at times. When my uh, so in the Midwest, you don't take the SAT, you take the ACT. And I, I took my ACT as a senior and the guidance counselor, Mr. Hayes, walks into my classroom and pulls me out. And he's like, hey, you know, you did pretty well on this. Like, what do you, what are you thinking about doing with your life? And I was like, I, you know, I was thinking about uh, either joining the Navy or uh, going to journalism school. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, you know, kind of weighing those two options. And, and he was like, you know, if I were you, I would go to business school and try to be a manager at a Walmart. Cause you can make like pretty good money and like it, you know, you're a smart guy. Like you could do this. And I was like, so that's always been like funny to me. It's like, I, and that is a good job. <laughs> they like, especially around here, they make pretty good money. Without a doubt. It's like, like they were steering me to be a, a Walmart manager. So uh went a different direction. But I actually have two teachers um, from my childhood who will never hear this, but I want to thank. And that's uh, Mrs. Brian and then Mr. Brown. They were hugely influential with like showing me that I had the ability to be a writer. Uh, they really encouraged me to pursue that when, you know, being from a very small town in Missouri, there aren't many guys especially going through school like i want to be a writer when i grow up it's it's kind of a it's something you don't hear very often so i i owe them a, a lot of gratitude for saying you know like yeah actually that's a cool job you should go do that so i i owe them for where i am right now for sure what you're always going to be good at too is what you're passionate about that's the thing like you're just simply it might at face value be like oh well you're not going to make a lot doing that but it's like no if you're that's what you're good at that's where you're going to top out at so I know we have a lot of listeners that are still in school and and getting plenty of advice from those great teachers across the country. I know we were just laughing about it, but it it really is all in good fun. But I mean, seriously, just you'll figure out what you want to do by just realizing what actually gets the brain going. And speaking of getting that brain going, Matt has launched a 2020 big board because he is an absolute psychopath at Bleacher Report. (laughs) There are plenty of players on this thing as I go through it right now. Uh, at every single position, I know you had top tens. And as you said, off the, it's a watch list, right? Like this is very yeah. fluid. It's, it is literally <laughs> the second week of May here. Right. But there's a couple of things that I, I just wanted to talk about here. One, we're going to get into a lot of it, how exciting this receiver and running back class is. But when you look across the board, how do you even start to honestly build this thing, Matt? I know we talked about a lot of these guys last year because we were yeah. a college football show. But this is like, this is beyond that. Yeah. So I actually, before I give myself any credit, I want to give Mello a lot of credit. For I know doing he's been helping you out with this. A yep. huge amount of the legwork on this, even just getting names in a database so that you can start And like, he has his own board. I have my own board. So putting names in a database so you could basically start, you know, dividing them up. Uh, then it's, I am, uh, and Connor, you know this, I'm incredibly organized when it comes to how I watch players. So while I'm watching guys for the 2019 draft, I have a, a database for the 2020. And, and we, if Mello's watching, if I'm watching, we will go ahead and start putting notes in about players. So some of it is just on that. Like, you notice, guys, if you're watching Nick Bosa or Draymond Jones, you're going to see Chase Young. If you're watching 
um, Anthony Nelson, you're going to see AJ Epinesa. So some of it is like that. You just notice guys while watching others. Some of it is also using those connections in the NFL to say, and I already had someone this morning hit me up and he was like, Hey, you were way too low on the Iowa offensive tackle. Tristan Wirfs, watch him. I think you'll like him more. And so I go into the database, make a note. Okay. So-and-so told me watch more of this guy. And so I'll probably actually do that today because I'm an, an idiot and I don't have anything better to do. So some of it also is like getting help because I do know, I, and I, I saw someone ask us this the other day on Twitter, teams, NFL teams are already looking at next year's draft and the year after. Now they're not doing deep dives and like really scouting those players, but they know where the good players are already. And so they can help point us in the direction of, you know, hey, you might want to watch, you know, the the Clemson offensive guard or the, you know, Iowa's got two really good offensive tackles. You want to watch both those guys. And, and that can be, really helpful in at least getting us in the neighborhood of where to watch people. Yeah, without a doubt. It's a fun group. Um, I mean, just because there are so many skill guys on this list, it does look like the offensive line has maybe some premier players, which, it, you know, at the tackle position, that's really important at the top of this draft. So I just want to, you know, kind of give a shout there and get everybody to start reading that because these are simply the guys that this show is going to be uh, discussing from here on out. Yeah, you're going to get tired of hearing about Jerry Judy by the second week in September, guaranteed. It is time for Rookie Award Predictions. Yes, it is the month of May, but we always do these very, very early. There's going to be some obvious on here. Uh, Let's be clear here. There's also going to be some not so obvious. That's why we're bringing you Dark Horse Contenders. But let's kick it off with the very obvious. Matt, who do you think, who are you picking as your Offensive Rookie of the Year right now? Yeah, and I want to say, I remember saying this last year, and a lot of people got really mad at us, but I'm going to say it again. To win Offensive Rookie of the Year, you basically have to play running back, or quarterback. It is very, very hard to win that position, uh, to win that award playing receiver or tight end. It is impossible to win at playing offensive line. So, like, think how great Quentin Nelson was last year. He wasn't even in consideration for offensive rookie no, of the year. So, insane. just remember those things. Don't get mad at us. Get mad at the NFL for how these uh, awards are handed out. If we ever do stick to football awards, it'll be different. Promise you. But, Offensive rookie of the year, I think Josh Jacobs wins it. He's going to be asked to touch the ball 20 to 25 times a game for the Oakland Raiders. He was my number one running back. He was a top 10 player on my board. I I think his power, vision, agility, and then what he brings to the table as a receiver out of the backfield will really help him get the yardage. Think about Saquon Barkley last year, 2,000 yards total offense. I don't think Josh Jacobs gets to that level, but he's going to get the touches and the yards to be Uh, I think the front runner for rookie of the year. Listen, I did not want to agree with you when we made this rundown, but I also don't want to be wrong. So when it comes down to it, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, he's the starting running back on a team that is going to want to run the football. They're going to want to throw to the running back. And the guy that was supposed to split some carries with him is now out for the season. So when it comes down to it for me, I mean, Josh Jacobs is is the favorite here for us. I, I think the reason being here, Matt, as we saw with Saquon Barkley last year, he can catch the football and he's going to have plenty of catches. He's going to have just so many touches. A really good thing about him, surprisingly, coming from out of Alabama, it's not a whole lot of tread on the tires right now. He's got fresh legs ready to go, and and he is going to be ready to go. They used a first-round pick on a running back. The guy is going to play a lot. So it's kind of clear for me. I think it would just be a little foolish right now to pick somebody else. But if you had to... Who is your honorable <laughs> right? mention? That's what I was going to say. But 
if you really wanted to. So I'm going to go with Kyler Murray, honorable mention. Uh, again, maybe this reminds you of last year. We're like, oh, first running back taken, and then the Oklahoma quarterback is second. Uh, that's okay. It should remind you of last year. I, I am those very, right picks. <laughs> right? I'm very excited to see what Kyler Murray does. He's going to be the week one starter out there. And had Baker been the week one starter in Cleveland, I think he actually would have won the award. So Kyler is going to be the week one starter. I'm a little worried about an offense that has so many new pieces at receiver. Um, you have a, a new head coach who doesn't have an offensive coordinator. He's never coached in the NFL. So I do have some concerns, but I also think Kyler Murray is going to make enough highlight real plays that people are going to remember when it's time to vote that it could really help him. So, yeah, he's going to start 16 games as long as he doesn't get hurt. He's going to have uh, a lot of production, I think, in this wide open offense that they're going to run in Arizona. But I, I don't know that he's going to be truly the best offensive rookie next year. And, and something we talk about so many times is that this can become a stat based award. And if you're looking for somebody who is in the driver's seat to control his own stats, it is Kyler Murray. It's as simple as that. Like they said, they didn't draft him for him to just sit on the bench. And, you know, in Cliff Kingsbury's offense, listen, Arizona might not be very good next year, especially in that division. It's it's an uphill climb for them. But I don't see why Kyler Murray can't be a productive and efficient quarterback uh, from the get go. My honorable mention for offensive rookie of the year is David Montgomery. This was That's a good one. my favorite running back in this class. And I think he actually had one of my favorite landing spots in this class. So when I look at David Montgomery, I know the bears offense has Tariq Cohen. Obviously they traded Jordan Howard this off season. When it comes down to it for me, I think Matt Nagy is a guy who is going to get the most out of his running backs. This is a team that plays phenomenal defense and will run the football. And David Montgomery is in the driver's seat to get a lot of the touches. And one thing, a narrative I want to kill with David Montgomery is this guy is a pass catcher. He is, he, it's weird to me. I saw some people that were like, well, you know, why did they trade Jordan Howard and draft this guy? Well, he's just because he's strong, powerful, great contact balance. Doesn't mean he's Jordan Howard because he has great hands. I mean, he can really create yards after the catch. So if I'm looking for a not, you know, round one, round two kind of pick. I think David Montgomery has to be an honorable mention for offensive rookie of the year. Yep. I completely agree, dude. And thank you for saying that because he is absolutely is a receiver out of the backfield. Weird. I think it's because he's big. The people are like, Oh no, like it. No, there's no way that he's a a receiver out of the backfield, but he absolutely is one. So do you you think that how people look in pads sometimes at running backs, look in pads sometimes defines what they can do. Absolutely. Like it, if you wear in like bigger shoulder pads or you have like, like David Montgomery has such thick legs. People are like, Oh, he's a power runner. Like, no, but he's also like Elusive. a very good receiver. He's Kareem hunt. Like, honestly, minus the off field shit. Like that's just who he is. And Matt Nagy made Kareem hunt the rookie of the year. I think so. I think it's going to be okay. It's just uh, funny to me. Like Devin Singletary is five, seven, 200 pounds. So yeah. people assume he's fast. Oh, right. And he's not, he's not fast. He's shifty. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be like, you know, they're like, who was it? We were, we were talking to David Stills, maybe, and or no, Chase Winovich. She's like, well, I'm white, so people don't think I'm fast. Now it's like, <laughs> There's oh, you're short, opinion. you gotta be fast. Like, you, you got, and um, yeah, but he's just not. So, okay, my dark horse candidate, I actually went with the receiver here, which I know I said at the top, like, yes, it's really, really hard to win this award as a wide receiver. However, Stephen I. Smith, I think Nikhil Harry could have enough catches and play for a good enough team that if he becomes Tom Brady's, 
number two target. Edelman's always going to be number one. But if he becomes number two overall, then I do think that he could be a rookie of the year candidate, especially because the Patriots are the Patriots. If they win 13 games and are scoring 40 points a game, they kill Harry's going to get a lot of recognition. Recognition. Harry seems like one of those high floor players as a rookie where, and you never want to think of this stuff, but it's the reality of the game. Josh Jacobs gets hurt or Kyler Murray just really struggles as a rookie quarterback, which happens to plenty of guys. Harry's that guy you look at and go, well, he caught eight touchdowns. He had 700 yards. You know what I mean? And you look at it and you're like, he's the guy by default. So I, I like that for honorable, for dark horse, not honorable if, mention. If I can add one more note, because I buried this. Since the year 2000, so in this millennium, only three receivers have ever won rookie of the year. Anquan Bolden, Percy Harvin, yep. and Odo Beckham Jr. So not, not incredibly likely. That's why a guy who has the 32nd pick overall qualifies as a dark horse. Yeah, and when you look at Percy... I feel like some of his numbers on special teams actually aided that year. So, I mean, that that is something that can give you that kind of push there. So in 2009, he returned two kicks for touchdowns, which does help. Yeah, which does help. And he averaged almost 28 yards per return, which is a very, very high number when you're the main kickoff guy. I wish he could have stayed healthy. Before they changed that rule. I know. He was an explosive, fun player to watch. Um Dark Horse for me, this is like a really outside-the-box one because it might surprise you, but Darrell Henderson from Memphis, only because if Todd Gurley is truly hurt, he's the starting running back for the Rams. And if you're the starting running back for the Rams with his kind of speed, there's going to be explosive plays on the table there. And I know they have other players in that backfield, but they drafted him as high as they did to be the insurance guy for Todd Gurley. Now, he's still going to get the football no matter what because whatever Gurley's dealing with sounds like it's more of a nagging thing than a I-can-recover-from-this-if-I-have-time thing, which is scary. It's very scary. There's no way around it. I just think when you look at Henderson's fit in this offense, if there's ever a chance where he becomes the guy, he could quietly be in for a really, really big season. That is a great pick because, again, even if Gurley's not completely hurt, it seems like they saw what happened last year where they're like, oh, wait, actually, we want someone to come in here and help out to spell Todd Gurley like C.J. Anderson did. So Henderson is going to get plenty of touches, I think, even if like even if Gurley's okay, we should see them share the load a little bit more. That's a really fun pick. I think this... uh, by the before we get to defense, this should be this week's like iTunes review. You guys leave your review. Let us know who your offensive defensive rookie of the year should be, um, because that's just a lot of fun. Uh, let's really move is. on. Defensive rookie of the year. Uh, this is a lot like offensive, right? Where it's like only certain positions really win this. Most of the time, defensive rookie of the year is a linebacker or a pass rusher who like just completely goes off. So keep that in mind um, as we make these lists, because last year it was Darius Leonard. Um, obviously, you know, he he had just a monster year. It was Marshawn Lattimore before that. Um, Joey Bosa, Marcus Peters, Aaron Donald, the last five winners. So uh, guys who all had just fantastic breakout years. Connor, who is your winner for defensive rookie of the year? For me, it's Nick Bosa. I I thought he was the best player in this draft. And I think he also is a player that can make the biggest impact on the field. I I think when you look at the defensive line he's in, you simply can't dedicate double teams to him all the time. You really can't. Like, I know a lot of people will like picking Quinn and Williams, I think he's going to see a ton of double teams. I think teams will prioritize stopping him over Leonard Williams 
And I'm going to get to a dark horse that has a lot to do with that later on in this. But for me, it's Nick Bosa, Matt. I, I look at the sack totals. I truly think we could see a Bradley Chubb level production type of rookie season. Bam. I'm, Bradley Chubb quietly had such a great year last year. He did. Uh, and he really turned it on in what felt like the second half. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's exciting because the quietest 12 sacks a player has ever had. Exactly. 12 sacks is a, a rookie. Jesus Christ. And like no one talked about it. And he was um, a young rookie too. So yeah, I mean, yeah, he absolutely was. Uh, so I hate when this happens, man, but I am actually going to agree with you and pick Nick Bosa I, for all the reasons you said, I like Quinn Williams was my top player in the draft. I love him. I think Ed Oliver will have really good production, but like Nick Bosa with, with DeForest Buckner and D Ford on that line, you really can't double team him and playing in the division they play in. I think they're going to be in a lot of situations where like they're going after the quarterback. The Rams throw the ball a shitload. The Cardinals are going to throw the ball more than anyone. And then the Seahawks have a bad offensive line. So Nick Bosa could be in really good situations to have a 12 or 13 sack season coming right out of the gate. Uh, my honorable mention, I'm going to go snake order on you here because we don't have the same player, but we have the same name. I'm going to take <laughs> Devin White as the honorable mention. I think he's just going to have a load of tackles for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, look what Quan Alexander did in that defense. He's going to have the freedom because of guys like Vita Vea, Jared McCoy up front where he can just run and make tackles. Levante David is someone that a lot of offensive lines are going to key on at the second level to stop. So uh, I, I really do think that the Devin White's going to have that huge, maybe Darius Leonard type year, honestly, where he gets the not just tackle numbers, but the sacks, the interceptions, the total game to get him uh, high on this list, at least. Everything you just said, I completely agree with. Just for the other other Devin in the first <laughs> round at linebacker, Devin Bush is my honorable mention. I think you look at the defense he'll be playing in with those big bodies up front. They're going to clear a lot of space for him to make plays. Like you said, Matt, Devin White is going to be used as a blitzer and in coverage. So is Devin Bush. So I love this fit. And I just think this is a production award. I mean, if Nick Bosa say he does struggle, he only has six, seven, eight sacks or he gets hurt. You look at these two linebackers in Devin White and Devin Bush, they are going to be tackling machines. But why they were drafted so highly at a position like off ball linebackers, because those dudes make plays. So I'm excited to watch both of them get on the fields right away. My dark horse pick here. And you and I went, you know, super in the weeds with this pick for each of us. I went with Ja'Kai Polite. Because if you look at it, Ja'Kai Polite's going to play right away, okay? The Jets haven't had yeah. a pass rusher since John yeah. Abraham. Everyone knows the whole situation. Quinton Williams is going to be double teamed. Leonard Williams and Henry Anderson are going to command a lot of attention. Who's the guy out on the edge with the one-on-ones that was super productive in the SEC? Yes, he bombed the combine, bombed interviews. Greg Williams is going to look at this dude and say, just go. Get up the field, get the sacks, get the strip sacks, create havoc for the quarterback. You're the guy with the best matchup in the front seven. Get after the quarterback and wreak havoc. And that's why I think my dark horse just has to be Ja'Kai Polite. You're also a Jets fan. So. I hope I'm right. Right? <laughs> like, I'd like him to finish third, second, or first in the defensive rookie right. of the year voting. I understand that. Yeah. My dark horse, I went, like you said, I went, I, I think, Pretty deep in the weeds. No Patriots, Chiefs, or Niners pick here. I want Taylor Rapp for the Rams. And I think that might surprise people because they have Eric Weddle and they have John Johnson. Like, okay, dude, where are, where is he going to get the snaps to play here? I think the Rams are going to have to run three safety sets like all the time, basically. So getting Rapp on the field, 
we've seen it at college. He could play in the slot. He could play single high. He could come down and, and almost play like an extra linebacker. So I think he's going to be on the field in a lot of different ways to be able to make enough of an impact. And again, this is a dark horse. It's not like, oh my God, Taylor Rapp's going to win rookie of the year. But I wouldn't be surprised if he can turn in, you know, 75 tackles, four sacks, uh, and, and maybe three or four picks and can be enough of a difference maker that he could get some recognition for this award. Connor, we promised a ton of draft on draft man, and we are going to dive into it deep here. Let's kick it off. Our guy sports fiend has two questions, both so good. We had to put them in here. Question number one, what is the one thing you each regret that you didn't do on the stick to football tailgate tour in 2018 that you want to make up for in 2019? Uh, I feel like you and Mello, I'm on vacation uh, Thursday night. I feel like we should let Mello answer this one too, because we did some living on the tailgate. tour. Yes, we did. <laughs> I don't, is there anything that you didn't do? That's a great question. I don't know. We had a lot of fun and covered a lot of ground. I mean, I'm just excited to see more places. That's what the tailgate yeah. tour comes down to for me because we met so many great people and had so much fun with them at the games. I don't really, I just want to eat more food that I haven't had before yeah. and go see new places. And I don't, I don't, you know what? One thing I would like to do in 2019, now that the tailgate tour has become a more formalized thing. I mean, we really, it was a success last year and a ton of fun, but we threw that shit together. Yeah, like, we were winging it. We were winging the <laughs> shit out of that. Yeah. But I would like to book some some big guests to stop by each tailgate. That's what I would really like to do. And, and for yeah. them to interact with our listeners or interact with our show, a, a big thanks to you know Jacob Hester, who was stopped by and hung out with us at LSU. He's kind of an LSU legend. So yeah, it was, it's fun having people like that that have... Um, so much history with the university. I think that makes the tailgate tour that much more special. I agree. I was going to say, I want to eat more local food. I think last year we tried to like go into places and be like, let's throw a tailgate like we would at home, you know? And so, and it was tough, like logistically to like grill for people or like, so I want to Pack like everything. try to get somewhere like on Fridays as often as I can next year. And like, go have some local food. I, when I pitched the idea to BR originally, that was, it was almost like a, you know, diners, dives and drive-ins meets college football, you know? So it was like getting out more in the area and, and spending time with, with some of the locals would be a lot more fun. So that would be mine. I mean, I, I don't know what more I could do this year that I didn't do last year. I mean, I, you I covered all bases. Carts. I, you know, I took Lost shots me. <laughs> out of a bottle as bartenders jumped up on bars. I mean, I, I took some years off my life last year. So maybe what I want to do this year is remember all of it. I don't know <laughs> I mean, if you, you if I lost you or you lost me, but I found you on Instagram live of all yeah. places. We got separated. That was, it was, yeah. it was a blast. <laughs> and I remember walking into, uh, when we were at Baton Rouge, walking into the stadium, but before we got in a guy just eating shit over a guardrail. I mean, Baton Rouge, we did everything. That yeah, was Baton crazy. Rouge was was wild. wild. I think one thing <laughs> that I want to ask our listeners, and I know a lot of you have been asking us, we are going to announce the tailgate tour this month. I know uh, everyone's super impatient. And I understand why, because you want to book your trips in advance. That's awesome. I love the excitement for it. So we are going to announce this month. If we're going a place that you're familiar with and you think there's a place that we should maybe cater food from or link up with as a partnership, yeah, exactly. please send it our way any way possible on iTunes review on Twitter Instagram, wherever you can get that in front of us, please do. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, I do think that that's a huge part of it. It's just interacting with everyone else. So uh, Sports Fiend, second question. 
Hey, fellas, how would you power rank the top five teams in the NFL after their draft and early free agent moves? So I, I, we don't always like prep for draft on draft because I think it's more fun when we don't. So off the top of my head, uh, I think it's the Patriots, Chiefs, Rams, and then it gets really hard. Like, I, I mean, after that, you could almost go any direction. So um, I think the Bears are going to be really good. So year. I actually, I was going to say the Bears would be in the top five. So Patriots, Rams, Chiefs, Bears, fifth team. That's the, it is honestly very difficult. I, you can make an argument for the Chargers. You can make an argument for the, I don't know. That's maybe it's the Chargers. The Colts. The Colts, Saints. Colts are going to be Saints. really good. Saints, yeah. Colts. Uh, one team that frustrates me is if Tennessee had a better quarterback or at least a healthy one, oh, I know. Tennessee would be really good. Yeah. Really good. I just, I, I want Marcus Mariota to be great. I just don't. I want to put. I wanted to say Houston, but the offensive line is so bad. It's not. It's not. I'm not comfortable to say it's fixed, no matter how many guys they took. And I hope Deshaun Watson could stay healthy and have an MVP caliber year. I I think Chicago. The thing that people are sleeping on a little bit is that, like, because Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson were so good so fast, they're forgetting that Mitch Trubisky has gradually been getting better for a long time. Yeah. So yeah, I really, at, I look at Chicago. They're exciting. There's a lot. I mean, 12 I mean, and four last year. And if Cody Parkey didn't suck, they would. Yeah. yeah. Would and and those there. Eagles are going to be a problem. Carson Wentz, you know, healthy yeah. Carson Wentz. There's Maybe. a lot of a lot of team. And we're going to talk just to be clear. We are going to talk a lot of NFL this summer, this season. Uh, this this podcast is going to cover everything. NFL, yeah. college football, NFL draft. So uh, we love those questions. Keep sending them in. E.C. Larson asked, hey, stick to football. Have you ever had a Manscaped accident? Oh, God. It's not any fun. Seriously, though, his draft on draft question. If the Eric King has a good senior season, can he be considered a dark horse starter quarterback for 2020? So Derek King, quarterback down at Houston. I will be completely honest and say that at this time, I have maybe seen two games of his. And I've like watched the games, not studied him. And my my gut reaction is, man, he's small. But then Very. you remember who just went first overall. Doesn't matter. And it's like, okay, well, that might not matter anymore. But he, I mean, he is he is a small dude. So um, I will say this. Anything's possible, man. Um, it would be interesting to see the new coaching staff in there. I mean, our guy, Dana Holgerson, we absolutely love. Um, it, he, he has not traditionally put guys highly in the NFL draft because that system is just not, not thought of that well. So, um, and then injury will be big. I think King missed the last two games with injury. So that'll be a a big part of it too. How healthy is he? And then what does the system look like in year one? I think when you look at the numbers, the dude is electric. I mean, it's as simple as that. He really, really is an electric player. You see what he could do on the ground. I mean, he had 50 total touchdowns last year. So it's crazy. He obviously is going to be asked to throw in that system. So I'm excited about him. I'll be completely transparent. And Matt, you kind of said this as well. Right now, I'm excited to see De'Ara King, the college football player, because I think he's going to be in that conversation as one of the most productive players in the country. And then when we get to that point, I'll definitely visit him as a prospect of, you know, watch how his arm talent is this summer. So I'm glad he brought him up because it's somebody that'll be exciting to watch. Andrew Magnuson wants to know, I know it's probably an unfair comparison, but which wide receiver duo is more impressive as draft prospects? 2014 LSU uh, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry or 2020 Alabama Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. So I saw Mello answer this on Twitter, so I thought you and I could answer it uh, here on the show. I know a lot of people are going to have 
perfect hindsight with this and be like, you're talking about the best receiver in football in Odell Beckham, or arguably the best, and Jarvis Landry, who is a, a stud as well, Pro Bowl player. As prospects, they were not thought of like that. Um, you, you have to go back in time. And maybe for some people, they were. Yeah, maybe there are people that thought that Odell was going to be this coming out of college. I did not. I thought he was a first rounder. I had him, I believe, in the top 15 overall in terms of rankings. But I did not have him. I had Mike Evans and Sammy Watkins ranked ahead of him. So, you know, there were questions about Odell coming out of, did he love football? You know, there was all the talk about, he actually liked, he liked soccer more than football. You know, there, there were some... There were some some questions about him um, outside of his amazing athleticism. And then Jarvis Landry ran so slowly that I had him as a late second round player. So as prospects, the Alabama guys will be higher for me than the LSU guys were. Now, can they become what uh, Jarvis and Odell have become in the NFL? Uh, that's a high fucking bar. But Ruggs is a uh, just a freak. Our guy Adam Kramer was tweeting uh, with Melo and I last night. He's going to run in the mid four twos in terms of speed. And Jerry Judy is like a college version of Odell. So they are amazing players. I would even say that T Higgins and Justin Ross at Clemson are a better prospect duo than Landry and Odell were. I'm with you all the way. I mean, Judy and Ruggs this year are the spotlight is going to be on them every single week. And I think Clemson, who's just going to probably steamroll everybody this year, their offense is going to score 50 to 60 points. It's going to be the same for them. Obviously, Ross is a younger player. We we don't get to talk about him yet. Imagine if that draft goes Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross one and two. I know we're, we're not oh talking God. 2021 yet, but like I kind of probably want to. will. They're that special. They really, really are that special. I, I'm with you. Be like. Odell was not this consensus number one wide receiver in that class. And clearly Jarvis Landry, like you said, the 40 time buried him a little bit for as good as he was a very, very good player. I think Judy and rugs, the hype is, I think Judy's hype has already exceeded both of those guys. And we didn't even get the season going yet. Like he is projected as a top 10 pick rugs is the guy where you're looking at and you go, okay, he has all the talent to be a top 10 pick. So it, they, I think they are more impressive as draft prospects. Now, the development that Beckham and Landry have taken in the NFL is unmatched. They, Zach Mettenberger and that offense held them back so much, and right. they made themselves so much better in the NFL. And that's going to be the question we want to answer with Judy and Ruggs. I think also, like, to play, you know, five years ago, obviously we know who these guys are, but there were also a lot of questions about them just maturity-wise coming out of college. I, I... Um, I don't think it's any secret. Like I had a pretty good relationship with Odell in college and talked to him regularly and I loved him. And, and I would get asked by so many scouts like, Hey, well, I see you guys interacting on Twitter. Like what's he really like? Because I don't think anyone really knew how to take him. Like, you know, do you take this guy seriously? Does he love football? He's kind of a goofball. Is he, is, is he like a bad kid or is he just a little different? So and I, I have not heard anything like that with Judy or Ruggs yet. So uh, that's a good question, though. And I'm, I'm excited to to dive in on these guys as we, we get a little bit further. Uh, one more, man, before we take our uh, our last break. Sticky for Life. Great name. Amazing name. An iTunes name. So yeah. good. Could the Giants pull in Arizona and draft another quarterback next year? Yes. Yes. Yeah, without a doubt. If there was like a, I don't know, plus 1,600 odds somewhere right now that I could find. Oh, I would I would throw 10 bucks on it. Yeah, maybe yeah, why 20. Not? Here's why. And I know, Matt, you probably have the similar rant. And it is not much to do with Daniel Jones. It is everything to do with that front office. If they get fired next year, 
that new one is coming in and going, hey, we're picking top 10 again. Shit, we'll take Tua. We'll take Jake Fromm. Yeah. We'll take Jacob Eason. We'll take they Justin Herbert. They apparently loved Justin They love Justin Herbert. I, I think if Gettleman is still there with the coaching staff, they'll they'll ride or die with Daniel Jones. They won't give up on him after a year. But if a new front office is there, it is completely out of Daniel Jones's hands, no matter what he does. TMR Troopers wants to know, do you think the 2020 wide receiver class will end up being better than the 2014 one? 2014 had Beckham, Evans, Cooks, Adams, Robinson, plus a ton of other contributors. So I I went back and looked at my grades, and I do think there will be more first-round players in this year's draft, but I think what he's asking is a better wide receiver draft. So these are the receivers from 2014, because it wasn't just the first-round guys. Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Odo Beckham, Brandon Cooks, all really good. They were top 20 picks. Kelvin Benjamin, bust. Marquise Lee uh, was picked at 39. Uh, Jordan Matthews, uh, Paul mm, Richardson. Nope. But then Devontae Adams was picked at 53. Allen Robinson at 61. And Jarvis Landry at 63. Even like Dante Moncrief at 90. John Brown at 91. Like These are good players uh, who have had good NFL careers. Martavis Bryant was a fourth-round pick. Quincy Inunua was a sixth-round pick. So it was just such a deep wide receiver class. However, that said, I do think that 2020 will have higher grades. I don't know. We can't predict right now if it's going to be a more productive class once they get to the NFL, but it will be a better draft class for wide receivers. I think there'll be more hype. I really do. I think there's a couple of factors why. One, the previous wide receiver classes in 2019 2018, definitely. 2017, I think so, too. And 2016 did not have legitimate number one guys. Now, I know people will listen to that and say, well, Corey Davis went fifth overall and Mike Williams went seventh overall. And, you know, there are people that believe Calvin Ridley and uh, Hollywood Brown and Nikhil Harry. They could be number one. Sure, that's fine. I'm talking about as prospects. A lot of scouts in front offices, the last like true number one that they evaluated was Amari Cooper. That was in 2015, Matt. Yeah. That's a long I, time ago. Crazy, isn't it? So when you talk, talk about 2014, they had plenty of those guys. Teams loved Watkins, Evans, Odell. Uh, Cooks was very high, highly sought after. When you look at this class, I mean, Judy, T. Higgins, LaVisca Chenault, C.D. Lamb. Those are just the front-facing guys. They are all already being looked at as number one wide receivers. And that's why I just I think the hype will be as big as we've seen in a very long time. I agree with you, man. Uh, It it is going to be ridiculous. And we are going to be responsible for some of that, right? Because I'm going to do it like crazy. I've already said Jerry Judy is Odell. Like, that's who I see when I watch him play, man. It's just it's it's obvious. And like you, you just ran through those names. There are eight guys at receiver that, let me see, eight. Yes, there are eight that I've identified as. These players are likely to get a first-round grade from me. And that means, a first-round grade for me means they would have been first-rounders in any draft, right? So not just, oh, they're going to get a a top 32 ranking. No, like these guys would be first-rounders regardless of the year that they're being drafted. So, And some of that is dependent on staying healthy, guys actually declaring, and then hitting their development. But Judy Higgins, Chenault, Lamb, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Henry Ruggs, Tylen Wallace, uh, and Colin Johnson. Those are the top eight receivers. 
they're all fantastic players. And then you even have like Devonta Smith at Alabama, uh, Demetrius Robinson, Robertson at Georgia. And, and as always happens, there's going to be someone come out of the woodwork every that we year. don't know about yet. every single year, man, every year. So it's going to be so much fun. I think a lot of our listeners can already hear it in our, like the way we've been speaking. We're excited about next year's draft because the skill group is just phenomenal. Phenomenal. Finally. And it's about, it really, this was needed. It was really needed. I mean, we might have some instant impact offensive pieces at every single position. So Monte Cristo, as of right now, do you think 2017 or 2020 will be a better running back wide receiver class? People are really, they're invested as much as us here. Yeah, I think the it's important here. He throws in the running back class, 2017, um, Pretty good running back class. Um, Leonard Fournette was in there. Christian McCaffrey, they were both first-round picks. Um, I do think that that this will be a better year for that. Even if you like Dalvin Cook, uh, Joe Mixon, that those were – so four running backs were drafted in the top 50. I think this year will be better. You just mentioned it. Like Corey Davis and Mike Williams, they were fine as receivers. No one really thought they were like studs. John Ross is a bust. So let's not even wor- – uh, he there, actually brings this group down a little there bit. There were questions about him before. The, like, it was a shock when he went top 10. Yeah. And then even like um, – oh, hell, what's his name? Curtis Samuel went in the second round. Like, he he hasn't done anything. Jay, Zay Jones really hasn't done anything. So uh, give me this year over – I'll do a deep dive on this. I can't think of any year that has a better combination of running back and wide receiver than what this year looks like it will have because Ooh, at, we just ran through all the receiver names. At running back, Travis Etienne, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, and J.K. Dobbins all look like first-rounders. Najee Harris could very soon. Cam Akers, it, he had a bad year last year. He could bounce back. Um, it, it, Keyshawn Vaughn at Vanderbilt is someone that we have to pay attention to. Like This this running back class is not only deep, but the top of it is incredibly loaded with talent. It really is. It really. I was trying to look why you were going through all those. Like 2011 had Julio and A.J. Green, right? The top yeah, running back, Mark Ingram was taken. Like you know, and then you have like a ton of busts: Ryan Williams, Mikel Ashore, Daniel Thomas. Oh, like I know, you know, Vereen and Ridley had their moments. Uh, yeah. Demarco Murray was great for a while, for a while. But there's just a lot of busts in that group, so it's gonna be. Uh, we're saying it now: the hype is going to be out of control, and I think it's warranted. And even if it's not, we'll drive it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right? I'm we got to talk about something for three months. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. All right. Next question uh, is from our guy, Matty G. Why did Chris Lindstrom go so much higher as a guard than Cody Ford and Dalton Reisner? Was it because of traits? I, I think so. And we talked about this on our live stream, which you can still watch on YouTube. Just type in YouTube, Bleacher Report 2019 NFL Draft. There's time codes. With, there are time codes. You can go right to the Lindstrom pick. One thing was like he is so good in his own blocking scheme. His ability to get to the second level cleanly and quickly and cut off linebackers, we call those reach blocks, was amazing. He didn't have a ton of power to his game. Cody Ford was all power, didn't have much movement. And Dalton Reisner, I, I think the same way. Like no one was really sure where Reisner was going to play. So that bumped them down. With Lindstrom, you know exactly where this dude was going to play. And I, I think by the time the draft got here, we all pretty much come to the terms that he was going to be a top 22 pick. So the the Falcons drafted him maybe a little early, but he, he was just such a an easier uh, transition to playing guard in the NFL than those two players were. I think teams were much more comfortable with his floor than, yeah. uh, especially than Reisner. I think they looked at Lindstrom and said, this is a guy that's a can't miss 
kind of player. We don't know if he'll ever reach elite guard status, but we know he'll reach above average starter status at a position of need for the team. They had some serious problems at guard. James Carpenter is not coming in to fix those right away. So that's why it it really is. He's an impact guy. He's somebody that they want to run the football like crazy this year. They went and drafted two guys that they feel can be the anchors of the ability to do that in Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry. Devin Nygaard, thanks for the iTunes review, man. Really appreciate it. Where is the hype? And he had a lot more to say about this, but I condensed it. He really wants to know where is the hype on Justin Herbert coming from? He basically said that he doesn't see it all on the field. Yeah, I struggle with that too, honestly. Uh, I'm with you there, Devin. Uh, There are times where I watch Herbert and you're like, ah. Underwhelming. Underwhelming, right. I, I did talk to a good friend of mine who went through Oregon last year, and he his team doesn't need a quarterback, but he was watching practice, and he texted me, and he was like, this Herbert kid can throw the fucking football. Like, it's beautiful. Like, when you watch him at practice, which, remember, that's where a lot of scouts get their their views on players. They, they're watching these guys in practice, then they go watch film, and then they stay to, like, halftime of the actual game. Herbert looks like a god in practice. Now, he hasn't looked great in games. I think a lot of people point to... There's been some turnover there that he's had to deal with, um, but he he looks the part too. I mean, he's a big kid. He's a good athlete. He has a good arm, and he, in a lot of ways, reminds me of like a more athletic Jared Goff because it's like, okay, he doesn't do anything great, but he doesn't really do anything bad, and he does have, he has the exact body that you want. You know, he's 6'6". He's like 240, um, and he, he can move around a little bit. He's incredibly smart. Um, he doesn't turn the ball over. Like, there's a, a lot of things to like that maybe aren't going to show up like a, you know, a, a Tua who just makes ridiculous plays and he's all over the field, or Kyler Murray, you know, who's able to do so much as a run pass guy. I think what Herbert is like, you know, he's just like this classic drop back passer who tears defenses apart with his accuracy. And as you said on the Monday show, he might not be a nail eater. And that's, right. you know, right. it, it might not be. It is something that'll turn off some front offices. It really will. Yes. He's not going to be the guy out there like Baker, you know, like Rivers, like Brady. And I know those are phenomenal players, but he's just not going to be the rah rah, I'm the dude, step aside and listen to me. Or at least we haven't seen it yet. Right. And maybe that's why he stayed. Maybe he needs another year to get comfortable and take over and command that huddle. But I'll tell you right now, that's what teams want to know. They really do. And that's a question for Daniel Jones right now. It truly is. There, There is a difference. that The mentality expected at quarterback is extremely, extremely unique. It, it really is. And I, I think we've talked so much about this the last two years with the Jets and the Giants needing quarterbacks. So like the personality to play quarterback in New York is a lot different than the personality to play quarterback in Dallas or Houston or Indianapolis. LA. Yeah. yeah, it's just completely different. So I think, like you said, it some places want a nail eater. Other places are going to be cool with somebody that's kind of laid back. Like I've said before, I could see Justin Herbert working in Cincinnati with Zach Taylor because Zach Taylor comes from that Sean McVay tree. He was a quarterback in Nebraska. He's probably going to be fine with somebody that's a little bit chill and doesn't have to be, you know, doesn't have to be Baker Mayfield taking shots at Colin Coward on Twitter. Uh, last question, man, from David Davis, how many first round wide receivers next year? I am sorry, David. I already answered your question. I I legitimately have eight guys marked as potential round one players, which is unheard of. That's a fourth of the first round. So as good as the D line 
an edge group was this year. I think the wide receiver group is at that good for the 2020 class. It's amazing when somebody like C.D. Lamb is being buried. It almost feels that way. Right? Like, he could be He special. would be the number one receiver in most classes. In a lot of classes. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. His teammate was just the number one wide receiver in this class, and he was better. He was better than Hollywood Brown. Yeah. It's wild, man. It's wild. But... I'm excited for it. I can't wait. I mean, we can't say it enough. Like, we're going to be talking about all these position groups every single week. We have a lot of fun stuff planned for the show going forward through this summer. We're not going to slow down. We're going to do three shows a week. We have a lot of uh, a lot of announcements to make. You know, maybe a couple events coming up. I know people have a lot of fun at those. So uh, we can't wait. Anything before we sign off here, Matt? No, I'm looking forward to vacation. So if you're used to my tweets and my voice on the podcast, uh, you're going to miss me for about a week. Um, I I need this. I need to get away. Yes, hopefully, leave us. Hopefully, Mello and Connor uh, hold down the fort. I, I know that they will. So uh, make sure you get on the Friday show and the Monday show to listen to these two. I know I will be listening to it on my flight to and from Colorado. I'll be listening to you guys. So uh, do me proud. 